Are you recording? The views expressed on the Daily Second are based solely on questionable research or might just be totally made up by due to laziness and by no means should be taken to heart nor assumed accurate. None of the hosts, guests, reprobates, or anyone else connected with the show in any way whatsoever can be responsible for your actions because you're an adult and responsible for how you act. The Daily Second hosts assume no responsibility because the content of this program is poorly compiled by two individuals who no one should be listening to. Viewer discretion is strongly advised. The Daily Second episode is brought to you by the Pew Pew Jew and bacon. Something my co-host knows nothing about and never will. But bacon, it's there when you want it to be. Welcome to the Daily Second Podcast, Episode 5. My name is Nate, and with me is my helpmate, my cohort, my better-looking shorter half, Yehuda Remmer, also known as the Pew Pew Jew. Tonight, we will talk with our guest, Lanny Barnes. Lanny is part of a duo, but we only want her here. Her sister can stay at home tonight. Now, Lanny, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. It's it's great to join you guys, and um, been stuck at a ninety acre quarantine, and and it's been rough. Ninety acre quarantine. That sounds absolutely horrible. <laughs> I'm stuck in a eighteen square foot, no, no, eighteen hundred, sorry, square foot house. So ninety plus acres sounds delightful. It's, we're very fortunate out here to have a little bit of room to, to run around, but um, definitely feeling for all the people stuck in little apartments and cities and, and I hope everybody's doing good and healthy. Well, here, let's, let's, let's take that moment and then pretend that somebody's listening to this a year from now and going, what is everybody talking about? No, no, not a year, 20 years from now going, what are they talking about? This whole next generation, like what quarantine back, back in 2020, that sounds made up. Yes. Well, you're riding around in your flying cars and not having to pay taxes anymore because the government realized that was wrong. There was a quarantine that ended all that back in the day. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so wishful thinking, right? Yep. So now let's talk about you. Now, you and I met, we just figured out um, 14 years ago, and we met in a frozen environment on very tiny skis with small caliber rifles. Very true. You, you, wanna, you wanna go on with that? You know, I, I think I'm still thawing out from that experience. I don't know about you, but um, I have a hard time feeling some of the fingers and toes still to this day. But yeah, we, we met about 14 years ago doing a really obscure sport, which I still don't know why um, you or I decided to sign up for something like that. but. Uh, gotta be kind of crazy to do it. Um, oh, but absolutely. absolutely phenomenal when the skiing and the shooting connect. It's just a, it's a great sport. I think, um, one of the hardest sports in the world. Oh, absolutely. And, and we're obviously talking about the amazing, addictive, soul wrenching and character building sport of biathlon, where you take skis that are only inches wide and longer than your body. And you go out in minus 20 degree weather and you're literally only wearing millimeters of clothing <laughs> and you go for miles yeah and it's uh it isn't addictive and it's just like i said it's, a, it's definitely a character building one because you actually have to ski up the hills not down the hills like like other people do 
and that precision shooting of uh, of a 22 caliber rifle with uh, a 50 meter three inch targets and falling plates is definitely definitely fun why did you get into it actually i kind of know the story but i want you to tell the story of how you got into biathlon a lot, a lot of reasons. One, probably the biggest reason to, to get in shape for soccer. Uh, we were downhill skiers and, uh, you know, it just wasn't, wasn't doing it going down the hill. And uh, so we, we got into Nordic skiing and, and uh, we were big shooters at the time too. That was kind of our, our, our big passion is shooting in soccer. And, and some guy told us about biathlon and he said, you know, the precision shooting that you're doing where you're laying down all day is not for you girls. Um, and so we, we tried it out and absolutely fell in love with it. Love, fell in love with it. It's just an amazing combination of two disciplines. And now when you're referring to we, you and your identical twin sister. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not missing much. She looks just like me. <laughs> um, it was funny because the first time I met you, it was you I met and then I saw your sister and I was like, damn, she's fast. I felt really bad because I was like, okay, I'm huffing and puffing and the women's trails uh, intersect with the men sometimes. And I, all of a sudden you were there and then I come around another corner and there's your sister. And I'm like, damn, that, that girl is fast. So I had to pick it up a bit and I wore myself out. But you guys were soccer players and now you've both been to the Olympics. You are more active in the competition shooting world than she is, correct? Uh, right now, yeah. After the 2014 Olympics, we both decided to retire from biathlon together. And we both dove into three-gun, and then she had a couple of kids, and that kind of put the, the shooting a little bit on hold. And so, yeah, I'm definitely a lot more active in the shooting. Um, hoping she gets back into it one of these days so I can, you know, go head-to-head -head with her again. But um, right now, it's just me going solo. Nice. So yeah, those, those, what's the uh, slang term for kids these days? Crotch goblins. They really <laughs> suck that energy out of you. But with that said, are you the cool aunt who's teaching these, uh, you know, minions the next moves and how to terrorize your sister and also how to be better athletes? You know, absolutely. I'm teaching them all the, the good and bad things that they should know. Um, teaching them right, showing them how to pick up brass on the range. And, you know, I, we haven't got to the gun cleaning part yet, but when they get a little older, I'm going to be making sure that they're cleaning all my guns and, you know, things like that. So they're, nice. they're definitely coming along nicely. Well, I would, so I, you're... I would love to send you, um, maybe we'll touch base afterwards, but I'm going to send you a couple signed copies of my book for your, for your nephew, nieces, nephews, whatever they are. Nice. I, I bet they'd love that. A cool, a cool aunt gift. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's all about gun safety. So now that you have stepped away from biathlon and your videos and tutorials on functional fitness and performance and balancing the mind and body, which is so missed in a lot of things these days and coming from the Olympic background, what's next for you? You know, I'm going to continue to develop my shooting skills. I, I felt like as soon as I was done with biathlon, I had a very specific skill set, which was shooting with an elevated heart rate. And uh, I was lacking in a lot of the, the kind of basics with certain firearms, um, handgun, a little bit of shotgun, you know, things like that. And, and you know, in, in biathlon, we only shoot 50, 50 meters. And so even though um, it, 
I've picked up on it quickly. I still have a lot to learn in long range rifle shooting. And just in general, I just want to improve overall as a shooter. Uh, you know, I don't want to use my physical fitness and, and um, my background in biathlon as a crutch to get me through competitions. I want to be able to be the best shooter I can and then use the physical fitness as a bonus. Nice. And that's, that's one thing that I remember from my racing days and my coaching days and stuff. When, when I was doing the biathlon, <laughs> the biathlon, when I was competing, it was, uh, it's, it's the reverence we still hold for that sport that that level of competition, it wasn't just about being good at that one thing because biathlon is, it's two things. It's three things. It's balancing the whole world around you and getting into competitive shooting. Now myself, I find that I'm driven to be good at everything and that manual arms. And when I was still in the military competing, I had a lot of guys come up to me, uh, you know, tier one level guys. And they're like, Hey man, you shoot within a heart rate all the time. Is it like 140, 145? And I'm like, no, it's, it's higher than that. And they're like, no, no, no. And I said, look, and, and this is back in the day. So I'd, I'd show them my big spreadsheets on my Garmin and they're like, holy crap, because in their mind, your brain starts to, to pull away from functionality once you get past 150 beats per, per minute, right? And I'm like, no, guys, it was automated. I was 180 beats per minute, get down there. I could fire, I could drill, I could do all that stuff. And it just blew their minds. So what I'm getting at is that when we come from that, high level of competition and mindset and we leave by thought it's not a crutch it's actually that engine that drives our mentality to keep going and do better so when people are like oh nate you're really picking this apart you know you're overthinking and i'm like no i'm actually like going from a 50 piece puzzle to you know 2000 and still making the same picture here so yeah does that make sense Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what was great about the things that, um, you know, you and I could take from biathlon and transfer it over to competitive shooting is that it made you think of all the little tiny minute details to make sure that you were as efficient as possible as um, using your subconscious to, to, you know, the absolute max, because, you know, the more you thought about it, the, the more things would break down. You know, if you were worried about the other competitors or the, the wind, you know, everything, like you said, had to be automatic. And, and um, a lot of things that, that we experienced in the biathlon competition uh, can really transfer over and, and help out in a big way in, in the regular shooting competition world. Oh, absolutely. Now, before we move over onto the news, what is the furthest distance you've actually shot at? Because you, you talked about precision shooting and further distances. What is the furthest you've taken a shot at? Uh, the furthest is uh, a thousand yards. I haven't really gone past that. Okay. <laughs> I have uh, a thousand yards at, at my range here at my house and um, haven't got everything. I'm looking at it right now at the window. Um, <laughs> wow. It reminds me I need to get the, the range platform set up and everything, but um once to get that dialed in, I'll be able to, to work a little bit more on that. But um, right now, uh, the rest of the range is really only set up um, to about 600 yards with, with good quality shooting. Okay, cool. So what I'm hearing is that I'm going to have to come out there and visit you to take a look at this thousand meter range because I'm intrigued. But it'll obviously be after quarantine because, you know, I'm tired of shooting in gas masks. So... <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You're welcome to come to 10 ring ranch anytime. Perfect. We'll do some training out there because you're, you're in the um, Colorado area, correct? Yep. Southwest Colorado, uh, as far away from Denver as you can get. 
Nice. All right. And on that, we're going to move on hey, to. Hey, I got. I just. I want. There's a few things oh. I wanted to ask. Oh, oh sorry. Sorry. Because... We're, well, here. Let me. Let me intro you again. All right. Now that you've heard me ramble on with my old friend here, Lanny, it's time to let the Yehuda out of the box so he can ask some questions of his own. So I come from a more of a advocacy side of the business, and that's why Nate and I hooked up because. Um, I do more politics, uh, education, and Nate is just Nate. Um, so, <laughs> no, so, so I actually had uh, two, two questions. For someone who is, anyone who might be listening who is not a competitive shooter, who didn't run and gun in the military, talking about your breathing and getting the heart rate to, you know, 180 beats per minute and being able to maintain focus, where, where would someone start? when training, when wanting to get to that point? You know, it, for something like that, you start out slow and, and work your way up. I mean, you don't want to just dive in um, sprinting up to a gun and, and shooting. You know, it, it takes building the fundamentals, the base of just regular shooting. And then once you build that foundation, then going from there, uh, walking up to a gun, you know, with a little bit more than a resting heart rate, you know, things like that, watching what it does to your barrel movement and um, how your body feels and reacts while you're, while you're breathing a little bit more, more than normal. And then, you know, just gradually increase that to the point where you feel more comfortable and more confident. It's, it's, you know, getting to the level that we were at and when we were doing Bathlon and the Olympics is, it, it takes years and years of practice. Um, we didn't just jump into the sport and, and start out shooting with 180 beats per minute. You know, that was kind of, it can, can be dangerous. You know, start out slow, right. um, walk and shoot, and then build yourself up. And what about, you know, you always hear these stories about these snipers who, you know, are able to shoot in between heartbeats, right? Does yeah. that come into play at all? Is that how, when you're shooting, are you controlling your shooting while your beat is pumping, not paying attention to the heartbeat? Obviously, because they talk about the snipers slowing their heartbeats down. Yeah. So are you doing the complete opposite? Exactly. We're actually doing the complete opposite that, that you know, the snipers do. And uh, back in the day when people first started biathlon, the idea was to slow your heart rate down. But the way the sport evolved, you really can't do that. There's not enough time to go from 180 down to, you know, a nice resting heart rate of, you know, 40 to 60 beats per minute. So um, what we did is, is we, we learned over time and training that the higher your heart rate, the less time or the less barrel movement. And the reason behind that is, is there's less time between beats at 180 versus say 140. So let's say um, this, this is my, my heartbeat and 140 is like this, you know, 180 is going to be a little bit more of a hum. So when you're shooting with an elevated heart rate and uh, things like that, you have to accept that you're not going to be able to hold it completely steady you have to accept that there's going to be a certain amount of movement. But once you throw that out and mentally you can handle that, um, shooting with a high heart rate actually is easier than shooting with a lower heart rate. All right. And then, okay. Now my last question for you is this, as someone who I, I'm, I mean, I, I'm not Canadian, thank God. Um, but I am, uh, you know, born and raised in America. I bleed red, white, and blue. You are probably the First, I believe the first Olympian I've ever actually had the chance to talk to. 
I have to ask, what was it like competing for America? Like what, there has to be a sense of, I don't know, like ultimate pride. So I got to ask, what was it, what, what did it feel like? You know, it, it's probably the, the greatest thing I've ever experienced, you know, being able to walk into the Olympic stadium behind uh, the American flag with people chanting USA, it just, it's, it's almost indescribable. It's hard to, to describe the feeling that you're going through, the, the pride, the adrenaline, you know, the excitement. Um, I think that part of the Olympics was probably the highlight going into the, the stadium. I mean, the competitions, it's competition. It, it's, you're competing against the same athletes you were in the World Cup, thing like, things like that. I mean, there's television, you know, cameras, people everywhere, but being able to go in you know, we're in USA and, and walking behind the, the flag is just, uh, it's, it's a real honor. That's awesome. Coronavirus has forced Americans to homeschool their children, allowing parents to educate their children how they see fit. Now available from author Yehuda Remmer is 27 Words, A Children's Guide to the Second Amendment, a revolutionary new way to educate your children on the Founding Fathers' original intent of our right to self-defense. With education being more important than ever, teaching our children the importance of freedom and the right that protects them all is crucial to the future of our country and nation. Now available at thepewpewjew.com. This was totally an unpaid for production and I had to read it because he told me he'd give me a cookie. And now it's time for headline news with Yehuda Remmer here on the Daily Second. Winner of 17 Buckeye Hawkeye Awards. Take it away. <laughs> so as we discussed a little a few minutes ago that I started off in the advocacy side and got suckered into doing this podcast at SHOT Show. Um, that said, there's so much going on in the news today with you know, the virus going on and constitutional rights being stripped away from Americans. Although Trump has not actually come out and said gun stores are essential, most states are coming out, most governors are coming out and saying, hey, no, they are essential. Uh, you got to stay open so people can arm themselves. But there are some states like Massachusetts who refuse to fall in line. What are your thoughts on the whole situation in terms of should should they be essential? Are our constitutional rights, or, or I guess the Second Amendment right, is it under attack by, you know, governors and states that refuse to acknowledge the essential business of gun rights? You know, I, I absolutely think that uh, gun stores and gun manufacturers and, and companies that uh, make parts and, and things like that for handguns, or excuse me, firearms should be essential. Uh, I actually worked for a company, uh, Hi-Vis Sites, and luckily we've been declared essential by the state of Wyoming. Uh, to me, self-defense and personal protection is a, hu a basic human right. And so is defending yourself with any means necessary, whether it's a handgun, you know, um, so any sort of self-defense. And I, it's, it breaks my heart that people are using this situation and the pandemic to 
make their political point and I guess try to strip our Second Amendment and other rights. Uh, it's it's instead of coming together in a time like this, uh, it's it's making people uh, a lot more polarized and going in opposite directions. Um, you know, I, I I'm very fortunate to live somewhere where we still have those rights. I mean, in Massachusetts, like, like you said, it's, it's uh, um, those people don't have the right to run down to the gun shop if they feel um, like they need more protection and, and buy, a, buy a firearm. And, you know, that's, it's just, uh, it's un-American. All right, and then, you know, transitioning from taking gun rights away or, or restricting them, we saw in March, that there was a record-breaking 2.5 million guns sold in the country. Do you think in any way a lot of those people are going to have buyer's remorse? Um, it can, can it lead to, you know, hypothetically, I've, I've had these conversations with people, right, where, you know, you have a, you have a company who, uh, a gun store will, that will sell a gun for, a Glock, call it Glock 19, for $650 when it's normally $500. Three months down the line, someone who bought that gun now comes back to the gun store and is like, oh, everything's good. I want to sell my gun back. But as we know, once a, like a car, once a gun leaves the store, it's considered a used firearm. They're going to come back. The gun store is like, yeah, we'll buy it for you for $250. And the person will be like, I've never shot it. It's brand new. And the store's like, sorry. Person refuses to sell it. Now, do you think that possibly there might be like black market sales all these gun, new gun owners who thought forever because that's what they've been told that you know oh you can't you know private gun sales are illegal and all this now here they are going to start doing things that just to get some money back and maybe start doing illegal transfers purchases you know sales with firearms that's a, that's a very good question. You know, I think to your point of having record gun sales in, in March, uh, it, it, it goes to show that in, here in the United States, people feel that having a firearm is necessary for personal protection, especially in a time of need. And do I think that there's going to be buyer's remorse and, and things like that? I mean, Back in the Obama years with the elections going on, there was a lot of people buying more firearms than normal and, and hoarding guns, hoarding ammo, you know, things like that. Uh, selling guns for more than, than they would go any other time. Uh, so I think that the, there will definitely be some people that say, well, you know, now things are going back to normal. I don't need a, need a firearm. Uh, I think it's our responsibility as experienced gun owners to make sure that we want to educate those new users on how to use those firearms if they if they see fit if they want to want to go that route and then to make sure we educate them on how to um, go through the the correct transactions and things like that um, you know there, there definitely is there that potential for people to to like you say black market transactions and and sales and things like that because people may not know i mean there's a lot of people that are learning the hard, hard way that you know it might take a couple days to get a background check and they can't just pick up a gun um go to a gun store and and walk right out the door with one so uh you know there's for sure there's going to be some situations where that comes up 
And what about like um, HR fifty seven seventeen? Are you familiar with that one? That's the they're calling it the gun apocalypse. The one uh, basically it, it bans all semi automatics, um, mandates a license to buy a gun. I mean, it just the list is. I mean, basically every small gun control bill that we've seen in Congress and the Senate, this is all packed in just one big one. Mm -hmm. um, so. My next question is kind of a mixture of call it news and more your thoughts on coming from your background. And I, I don't want you to think this is a, an attack in any way because it, it's not, it's really more for my, my education, my interest. Which is an attack. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm, afraid, yeah. I'm afraid of her, trust me. Um, no, so my question is this, right? I have friends who are competition shooters, three gun shooters. With so many of these anti-gun bills, you know, we want to, you know, restrict this accessory and, and, and magazine restrictions. And how come you don't see more competition shooters who actually make a living by enhancing their firearms with accessories? How come we don't see more competition shooters injecting themselves into the second amendment debate not and, and i'm not saying that they're anti-gun i obviously they are not not saying they're anti-second amendment because clearly they're not but do you think that there would be we, we would have a lot more pun intended firepower having people who are making a living rather than just instructors or you know regular everyday citizens but actually having people who live and breathe firearms every day as a living actually inject themselves into the debate absolutely yeah i think it's it's important i think the reason why we probably haven't seen more competition shooters uh jumping into the debate is because it probably hasn't affected them enough and that's not a good excuse but that's just probably my um my take on why more haven't jumped in you know, we, li we live in the, the best country in the world. Sorry. <laughs> but as far as, as far as gun rights and, uh, you know, a lot of them haven't affected people to the point where they're like, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to, you know, dive in. And, and um, that, that's the problem with a lot of uh, situations like that, where um, a lot of people don't dive in until it really affects them and they really start seeing their rights stripped away. And, and uh, you know, we, we need to look at other countries and, and other places as, as an other states too, as an example of, of how, you know, when, when someone loses their rights to uh, be able to um, bear arms and, and compete and hunt and, and protect themselves and things like that with a firearm, uh, we need to take those, places as an example and say, that could happen to me. I need to defend that right before it gets to that point and not after the fact. Uh, it's, it's always easier to react and be on the defensive than it is to be on the offensive. And, uh, you know, I, I've always been kind of shied away from the political stuff just because I've always felt that uh, I'm a better use of, of, my talents and things like that by trying to inspire people to to want to 
to want to shoot, to want to become a hunter or a competitive shooter, or you know, go out um, and plink in the back backyard with their family, you know, things like that. And and only a couple of years ago uh, did I start um, diving in a little bit into the political world. Uh, joined um, Di Mueller with the the DC project, and um, you know, she's doing some great things, and she's really taken the the project, um, the DC project, to new heights, and and trying to to have an effect on on the Second Amendment and, and making sure that we're defending that uh, from a woman's perspective. And I think that, you know, it, a lot of the things lately that have been happening in the United States as far as gun laws are concerned has, I guess, woken up a lot of shooters and competitive shooters and hunters. And, and I think we're gonna start seeing more jump in, but, like I said, I, I feel like a lot of them are just, are probably not gonna jump in until it really affects them. It's it's uh, it's interesting listening to you two talk about your news and stuff. And I'm not gonna lie, there's some absolute deep-rooted jealousy in me of <laughs> when I look at the States and what you guys have. And seeing what has happened here in this ridiculousness uh, in Canada, and then seeing how it's starting to kind of be a fringe delic. So in the news here, let's recap the news for Nate here is I heard that you talked about the, um, the pandemic and how people are using that as a political stance to kind of take advantage of what's actually going on and, and, and using it as their political gain and their platform and segregating more people and isolating. But at the same time, it's validating so much to the, to the populace that guns are vital. Guns are important. When you see police departments saying, Hey, Unless someone's killing you, we're not showing up, you know, basically is what the statement's being sent out for to, to the cities is, hey, if you're not being killed, we're not showing up. So you got to basically unofficially not really look, but take care of yourself. Here in Canada, we don't have that right. We don't have castle law. We don't have the Second Amendment. Our rights and freedoms are only 35 years old and they are stepped on daily <laughs> by government, okay? Or infringed on or whichever fancy word you wanna use. So hearing what's going on down there and hearing the gun sales, 2.5 million. Well, during a time of crisis in your nation when another nation that's like, hey, you know, just like big brothers and, and sisters or, or somebody's outside of your family, they're like, hey, I'm gonna go bully this, this person or this country now because they're in crisis and they don't really know what's going on. Oh, wait. 2.5 million new gun owners or guns have been sold. Hmm, that's bigger than my army. I'm not invading that place because they got more guns than we do. You know, so there's that positive side of it. When we look at what you said about um, the gun culture and people saying, yeah, you know what? It's over. It's been three months. I've got this gun. I didn't use it. I'm going to get my money back. Two points to that. One, the industry is not going to be able to handle that sellback of firearms if they all do it. Two, I really don't think, based on my opinions, that everybody's going to go back and sell their guns. There's, there might be 10% because everybody else has realized and they've gotten to that point where, oh crap, this is serious. This could have gotten worse. I'm holding on to this gun because of all the crap I had to go through to get it in the first place. You know, waiting a few days and the struggle, the stress, the anxiety. I'm just going to just going to keep that away. And if they were smart, they bought themselves a high point as well. So that way they have a throwaway trunk gun anyways. Right. And, and I can say that cause I know the owner's a high point and we, we, we talk all the time. So 
But honestly, you know, you're not going to just buy yourself a, an H and K and then throw that in your trunk because, you know, whatever. The apocalypse gun is going to be something you throw away. So when we talk, take that and move it and park it over here, the other things I'm hearing about the news is, yeah, when you take every little foolish gun control issue and put it into one bill, one of two things is going to happen. The populace is going to say, all right, that has all failed. We're not doing it. It's garbage and it's gone. Or somebody's really going to screw up and it's going to get passed and people are just going to, you guys are going to have another revolution, you know, um, which I don't think, I don't think it's going to pass because now that you've had these 2.5 million gun owners or people buying guns, these restrictions are going to change here in Canada. And I'm on my soapbox right now, which is what this show is about. It's all about soapboxes, make you hoot a taller. Here we have uh, background checks daily. So for me, my firearms license for restricted firearms, which is ARs and pistols, uh, things like that, I have a daily soft background check. If I have any problems with the uh, the police, boom, it's alerted to the firearms licensing office. Okay, for me to buy a firearm, I have to present my license, showing which classification I'm allowed to have. They do a background check as soon as that firearm has been requested to be transferred into my possession. They check all that again. They come back up. Yep, yeah, you're good to go. Four days later, your transfer is complete. Here's your firearm. Off you go. Right now, since we don't have Castle Law and the Second Amendment, we are down to minimal manning in all of our stuff, all our firearm stores, unless they're a big chain that's got some pull, <coughs> Bass Pro, they are closed. All the little mom and pop shops are all closed and stuff right now. And our licensing office is down to minimal, 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 minimal one person kind of thing operating. So I'm very jealous. That's the statement I'm making to you too, is yes, your grass may be a little brown and spotty, but it's still better. Well, no, because we're legalized cannabis here and even our government screwed that up. So your grass in your yard is better than ours right now, but keep working at it because we don't want that uh, dandelions getting in there. And that's what, that's my take on the news that you guys just talked about. All right. Good wrap. Yeah. So now we're going to move over to gear chat. Now we can talk about biathlon gear and slings and arms cuffs and hand stops and, and uh, you know, the expensive optics or non optics of the, uh, the peep sites from end shoots. But I think the intent of gear chat is the actual shooting world. With three gun, you're exposed to shotgun, AR, and uh, pistol work, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, Yehuda, you're not a three gun shooter, right? I mean, not competitively. I have three guns that I shoot, like my handgun, my rifle, my AR, uh, and my shotgun. But no, okay. I'm not an actual three gunner. Okay, so you're not a three gunner yet, but you and I have another project that we're working with that is going to involve getting the three gun. So yeah. I thought it'd be fun, since we've got Lanny here tonight, to say, hey, tell us about some of the gear from three gun and somebody getting started in three gun. What should they get? Other than the three guns, obviously. The three gun is, is one of those things where there's a lot of people jumping into it. Um, it's very gear intensive. You know, I went from Bathlon, very gear intensive to another one that's very gear intensive. I should have done like beach volleyball or something. It's very, <laughs> um, 
but you know the the great thing about three gun is is you go to a three gun match and you hardly find anyone that's not willing to let you borrow gear check things out um offer you advice and tips on what to get um one of the biggest recommendations that i have is don't just run out and buy as much as you can for three gun go to a match even watch videos online uh talk to people on facebook instagram you know whatever um chat rooms <laughs> see what people are using <laughs> and uh ask ask them questions because the you know most three gunners that jump in they buy a bunch of gear and then use it in the first match and I'm like oh well, that's not what i wanted and then have a box full of gear sitting there for um ages because no one wants to no one wants to buy it but um some of the things that I recommend are um, making sure that you find things that are going to help you kind of grow as a grow as a shooter. You know, obviously you start out with three guns. Um, you don't need to run out and, and buy the best possible guns right away. I don't think, you know, it's okay to, to go out and get something that, uh, We'll get you through a couple of competitions. You know, luckily here in the U.S., we have so many guns running around everywhere uh, that you can you can sell them uh, or have them as a spare for when you when you upgrade to something else. But while you're getting into things, um, figuring out what you like, what you don't like, um, start out at the entry level. <laughs> That's my three guns so expensive that if you're diving in buying the most expensive gear, it's it's going to hurt you. So. Um, Start out with the basic equipment, go to some matches, um, figure out what you like, what you don't like, and then start investing in some really good competition gear. So what is the latest piece of gear that you've picked up for your, your uh, loadout? Uh, well, I mean, been getting in new guns for competition this year, but honestly, it's been focusing on my, my gear belt. Um, I have a um, Weber Tactical holster and and mag pouches that they, they have a full new system that they've been working on um so that's kind of one thing for me it's really important to get a good holster a lot of people um don't get a good one for three gun and then trust me i know this uh first match or maybe first couple of matches you end up throwing your pistol out while you're running running down the trail um so having a good holster that's really gonna keep your your handgun secure and not have it fall out whether you're shooting prone or, or whether you're running or things like that is, is really important um shell caddies obviously um you need something that's going to be good for uh keeping the shells in so they're not flying out everywhere while you're running down the down the trail too um tacom has some good ones uh safari land uh there's a lot of different options out there and again it's one of those things where try it out, see what you like, because um, everybody's going to load differently, whether it's strong hand or weak hand. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, like I said, it's really gear intensive. So you really have to make sure that you get something that works for you, because something that works for me is not necessarily going to work for you. Exactly. And that's, that's something that I preach a lot too, is try before you buy. And I, and somebody comes up to me and, and you and I were talking about this last week too, is uh, he's like, Oh, mag pouches. I'm like, okay, well, what, how do you, how do you load? What do you want this for? What's the use of it? And I ended up guiding him to tacos and he hates me for it, but he loves me for it too, because of the style he of what he was talking about doing. And I said, listen, dude, what I always tell everybody, try before you buy. And I had somebody message me the other day, somebody that I was actually working with. He's like, yeah, uh, I'm looking at this holster. I got this and I'm going to, it's in my cart. I'm about to order it. I'm like, why? 
oh, because the reviews I read are great. I'm like, do you know those people? Do you, do you know their style? Do you know how they run? Have you seen how they work? And no, but the reviews are good. I'm like, well, if you're comfortable with that, right on. And I know in three days when they arrive, the first thing he's going to say to me is, these are garbage. And I'm like, well, the review said they were good. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm going to um, give a little credit to my twin sister here, which I don't very often, but. Um, what? She, I know, right? <laughs> uh, she's actually pretty amazing, but um, probably better than me in most things. But anyway, so she started this company called Check Outside, uh, where you can actually rent all sorts of gear but she does have three gun gear to rent where you can go you can rent shell caddies you can rent belts holsters uh scopes um you know range finders things like that to figure out what you want and what you like before you go out and, and invest big bucks in, into something wow okay let's scrap this episode yehuda and we'll bring her on <laughs> <laughs> no that's awesome that she did that yeah we're, we're definitely gonna have to have her on too nate <laughs> yeah um, well, actually, we'll just record the audio and leave Lanny's picture up there. So um, now, Yehuda, you just got some gear, and I, I kind of segued into it. Yeah. What do you think of that gear that you purchased that you hate me for? I, I like it a lot. <laughs> so I, I, like I said, I've been doing the advocacy. I'm, I'm not a competition shooter. I'm not a boogaloo boy. I've never, you know, I, I, I didn't serve in the military. I'm an Orthodox Jew from Los Angeles originally who is trying to educate Jews across the country on their second amendment rights. So only recently did I buy a plate carrier, which um, I love. And then I asked Nate here, Hey, I need some mag pouches. What's a good one. And he told me get the high speed gear tacos. And I messaged him about three minutes later telling him to go F himself because they are so freaking expensive. And then I texted him three minutes after that, a big F you because I sent him the receipt that I bought them. And <laughs> I love them. I, I, they were a fantastic purchase. They're easy to put on. They're super secure. Um, now it's just a matter of going right out here to the bike path and go jogging in my play carrier and see everyone freak out. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I really like them. Now, I do, I do want to say that the value with uh, high-speed gear, because I know if Allison's listening, she's going to give me crap if I don't say this, is that they actually have a lifetime warranty. So I've actually had to use it a couple of times because of hard wear and tear on them. So when you buy products and gear, and this is what I, I want to close off um, the gear talk about, is not does it just work for you, but does the company have a follow-through and a warranty with it? Because you're going to wear the crap out of it if you're using it properly. That's that, you know? So we're getting, getting to that point where I can see Yehuda's getting sleepy and Lanny's probably got uh, more, more things to do, like patrol her 90 plus acres of land and, uh, and relocate now that she's invited me to be there. So this episode, we have talked about the amazing, uh, amazing sport of biathlon which over in Europe is bigger than football is in the States. Just putting that out there. On a Saturday morning in Europe, you will see 20,000 plus spectators at a minus 20 event, drinking their beverage of choice that morning, watching a few athletes run around on skis in the snow. That's pretty cool. Get it? 
because it's cold. I'll let that sink in. So we've had Lanny on. Now she's in the three gun. Lanny, where can people find you? You can find me at LannyOakley.com. Lanny Oakley on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. No TikTok? I just got into it, um, kind of forcibly by a friend. but um, And I'm also in Southwest Colorado. Southwest Colorado. Perfect. So, as always, on this show, I've been Nate, and my co-host has been the amazing, I like to call him my Yoda, but he's actually Yehuda. And we thank you very much, Lanny, for joining us this evening or today or whenever you're listening to this episode of The Daily Second. I'm Nate. He's Yehuda. This is The Daily Second. You've got rights. Look them up. Ask us questions. We'll guide you in the right direction. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and shooters of all calibers. The Daily Second is a We Defy production.